friends. It's very exciting to be back with you on the Ramblin' Riders podcast. Today we're doing a special, special episode with a couple of longtime friends uh, and colleagues from ReCity Network in Durham, the greatest town in the world with two horns. We're having Rob Shields and Jess Averhart. And Rob, we always go ladies first, so sit tight, my man. Jess, as I was explaining to you when you walked into the plush green room of our virtual studio, I've been a bit of a fanboy for a long time. You've had some really cool central roles into the development of Durham and the Triangle at large uh, through your roles at American Underground, uh, Leadership Triangle. And one of the things I'm really eager to talk to you about today um, is you've just launched a business, I believe, if I've got your resume memorized correctly, it's your third time at bat as an entrepreneur. And I know all of your uh, fans and clients and partners through the years are really excited about what you're doing. Rob Shields, where do I even start with you, man? I kid around with Rob a lot, but he is frankly, the most admired person um, that I've ever had the blessing to admire in my life. He's just made the biggest difference for people. Um, He's completely selfless. Rob is the founding executive director of ReCity Network, which is a special enterprise uh, that brings together faith-based organizations, nonprofits, and mission-driven businesses. And I had the privilege of meeting Rob um, about four years ago. And I was trying to get him to do marketing with me, and he was trying to get me to do co-working with him. And we just decided to get married right there on the spot. Rob, myself, my wife, Jeanette, and Rob's wife at the time, Tucker Stevens. And then this is the best intro ever. <laughs> I know, I know we were trying to be cute about this and let this light be the straight woman, but I can't help it. That was funny. Rob is a stud among studs. He's great at connecting people. That's probably his best skill. And I know you're a heck of a connector too, Jess. Um, he put us together. Uh, you and I met at ReCity, Jess. And Rob gave the best gift uh, to me and Jeanette uh, that we've ever been given because he gave us Suzette Feller, who's producing this and co-hosting this podcast. She took me on as a project. And as we know, I'm very unfinished. So she's still hanging around to try to finish making me into a legit star in this space. Maybe Rob can settle this actually, because Brian and I still have this disagreement over who reached out to whom. I swear that Brian reached out to me because he needed extra marketing help. That is how I remember it. Brian insists that I reached out to him asking about opportunities. Do you remember Rob? I'm going to have to go back and check the records for this one. Cause this feels like I'm, I'm being pulled uh, into the middle, like uh, mom and dad are fighting and I'm trying to decide which, which Christmas I want, but uh, I will, the only thing I'll say to everything that Brian just said, cause a lot of that was o- overly generous, uh, is that 
the winning side gets to to tell the story, I guess. So so uh, gifting Suzette to you, I, I think you stole you stole Suzette from uh, and her <laughs> gifts and talents, and you know you're, you're welcome, I guess. But uh, it was something we 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 were not we did not willingly part ways with such an amazing. Uh, uh, person that Suzette is. I know she's she's doing doing amazing things for you and uh, is so good to be on with you guys. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun together and doing things like this. Um, we relish the opportunity to get together with a couple of people who, let's just face it, are there two better people in the whole world than you, Jess, and you, Rob, about trying to do things the right way and bring th- people together and staying committed to helping people make money and build community. I dare say y'all are unmatched in that regard. Uh, that's no, you're wrong. I can probably list, uh, could probably make an entire book on the people that we look up to and borrow from all the time and are inspired by. But I, that is very lovely of you. Thank you for saying that. That's very kind. But but I'm but I'm true. Very generous, but untrue, but thank you. And thank you too, Rob. That was super sweet. And there's just a lot of love going around right now. It is a love fest. So Rob and Jess, well, I know y'all have collaborated on a lot of stuff through the years. What sparked the two of you, Jess, to want to do that podcast together? And, and let me just tell you before we get into it, this is one of the more profound uh, content vehicles out there, the stories you guys are telling. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I'm actually going to kick this over to Rob. He, I love him telling our origin story, and it really did start with him. So I think it's appropriate to um, let him share with you how this came to be. So take it away, friend. I love telling this story because it, it I think, is really indicative to just kind of the relational framework that, that Jess and I bring to this space together. One of the reasons why I think it works is because we are authentically friends, right? I mean, if you pick up on that on the podcast, that's not contrived. It's not like, you know, um, (laughs) maybe watching TV shows and then when they hit cut, they hate each other offline. Like Jess and I are are very much the same people offline that we are on the podcast. We just press record. Um, And I think the reason why we thought this was helpful um, as as a platform to lean into is that in this time and place, in the last 12 months, what it's taught us is that people need a space to process tough issues safely. They need a safe space. Um, and I think that Jess and I, uh, we model different backgrounds, different perspectives, but doing that in a way that comes together to process difficult issues in a way that's accessible, honest, hopeful, and hopefully unifying in a way that we need right now in such fractured times. And so when we had an opportunity to lean into this medium, even before COVID to I mean, because one of ReCity's three pillars as an organization is advocacy. And us, I think flushing that out, advocacy to us means amplifying marginalized voices and kind of telling untold stories, uh, stories of impact, stories of how we got here so that we can tell a new story moving forward in our communities, one that is, you know, centered around justice and flourishing for everybody. Um, this, you know, you talk about our intros, you would think that Jess and I are, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and, and the heroes of this story, but we're not the heroes of this story. We're not the heroes of the Just Podcast. The community is the hero of this story. And we just get to sit like the audience, sit back, ask questions, and just um, amplify those voices that often get uh, 
um, unheard or go unheard or often stories that often go untold. And so it's a privilege to do what we're doing. And I, I joke with Jess that Jess is the kind of person where she, her heart is so in the right place that I couldn't even finish the sentence of, would you like to do a podcast? She said, yes. She said, yeah. I don't even, you don't even know the premise. (laughs) You don't don't even know what we're going to be doing. She just, she just leaned in and said, yeah, I'm in, I'm in to what you're talking about. This is, this needs to happen. And that was, uh, you know, over coming up on a year ago now. And we just been, we've been going ever since. Rolling. We've been rolling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. That's the, that's how we got here. I mean, Rob had the big, the big vision and I mean, Brian, you get this where we met, it was a panel for, I don't remember, was it affordable housing or I can't remember what the topic was, but something at ReCity and there were maybe like 60 people in the room and we met and um, were able to engage and connect. Um, But the content should have been thousands of people, right? And so one of the beautiful things about the podcast is, as you know, being podcast co-hosts, is that when you have a topic that's meaningful and relevant and could can impact learning and the way people see the world, including us, Rob and I are constantly learning on this this platform, like how to be better people. Um, the impact is greater, and so I just think scale um, certainly was a driver for us. How do you get the message out to more people? One of the things I was struck with early on is you guys attracted a really strong core, a little vanguard of really great leaders. And they're the kind of people that are starring on this podcast. Uh, People like Gerard, Sarita, Julie, Reynolds, Keith. (laughs) I could keep on with these first names. Um, But these are people who have committed their lives to making a difference in this city. Um, and they're doing it. And so to see them amplified outside of the walls of ReCity and even outside of their very formidable organizations, I think that can do nothing but good to sort of shape the Durham and Triangle space and to keep preparing more and more people for what the organization is about. And I'm sure knowing you guys, that's so intentional. Yeah, I that's, yes, very intentional. I think um, getting back to Rob's original point is that we co-host the podcast, but our whole goal is to amplify other people's voices. We're just guiding and processing and providing an opportunity to share stories that we're inspired by and work that we're really inspired by. And I think community right now, and I say community broadly, because when you talk about Durham, I know that this is a global podcast, but if you just talk about our, the community where I'm sitting, um, you know, Walltown is different than Haytai, is different than East Durham, is different than whatever, Oak Valley. So when you talk about community, you know, you can't broad stroke it. But, but when I talk about community, I just talk about people being in relationship with each other, whether I walk into my local coffee shop and then drive to South Point Mall. I'm in community with people through that entire 45-minute experience. And we need, as a community, as I've just defined it, to have opportunities to engage, 
to your point, outside of the noise of just deciding that this is my opinion on something and I'm going to fight for it, but to engage in a conversation where they can listen, maybe hear something new, it shapes their perspective and provides them an opportunity to change conversation the next time they open their mouth. So I like the idea of a podcast giving somebody the the privacy in many ways to shape because everything is so toxic and so polarized. It gives you the privacy to shape your thinking and then the opportunity to be actively um, showing, you know, what you learned and what it means to you now. And, and that's kind of a beautiful thing about this is that you can participate in this and engage with this how you, how you wish. And our goal is that you are different tomorrow than you were today. Ramblin' Writers is brought to you by Parklife Communications. During a time when every dollar counts for small businesses, we're proud to share free tips on maximizing your marketing budget, which you can find in our insights section at parklifecom.com. So let's back up and to really understand this podcast, I think people need to understand the larger goals of, of ReCity and its member organizations and fanboys and girls like us. Um, I know, I know when you launched ReCity, Rob, you were trying to attack something that you saw as kind of an unmet need. And that was people kind of falling out after high school or after they dropped out and, and looking for gaps you know, as where you could bring nonprofits and faith-based organizations together to help those people plug in and become productive. And I know from lots of conversations, and it's amazing when you're having these conversations, you think they're cool in the moment, but then years later you reflect on them and you go, wow, because you see the arc of the, of the story play out. And I can remember you telling me like, once you and, your, your original peeps, your board, you started diving into that issue, you thought, well, gosh, that's more of a symptom than a disease. And you started going, okay. And this was a, this was a bold stance for y'all to take. And, and I, as the father of a black biracial son, I cannot applaud you enough for wanting to do this kind of change. But you started looking at the prevailing whiteness and wealth and how that was concentrating opportunity in Durham and choking off opportunity for the majority of the residents, let's be honest. Um, can you tell us how yeah, that's a big mission, man. That's, that's, that's stuff that's decades and centuries in the making. And I know your original mission was about taking an organization that brings lots of people together to try to topple big societal challenges versus chipping away at symptoms. How's that going? I mean, I think that I probably would answer that differently, you know, today than I would have, you know, pre-COVID, February, you know, 2020, in some senses, more exhausted, right? Um, Because of 
everything that has happened, you know, that I feel like was in many ways triggered by um, Ahmaud Arbery's death um, this spring and all the fallout and all the names, right, that, that we could name um, that have been brought and raised to national consciousness since then. I think exhausted by that journey, you know, Jess and I can attest to that, but then also energized by this way that issues of justice are being kind of raised to national attention in ways that are, you know, unprecedented in my lifetime. Um, and that makes me hopeful. Um, it makes me hopeful that we actually can chip away at these roots together and get more people picking up shovels and digging with us to, to, um, you know, turn the corner and really build more just communities. Um, so it, it's going. Um, but I think I, if I could, I mean, you, you mentioned two terms there, Brian, and I'd love to, you know, in the spirit of digging deeper, I want to lean into those phrases a little bit. I mean, you talk about toppling, you know, and addressing whiteness and wealth. I think those two terms right there kind of are a lot of at the center of a lot of the conversation that are happening nationally and on the conversations that really permeate our podcast. Um, and I think you have to embrace this reality that um, one was socially constructed to preserve the other, right? Um, and whiteness was created to protect wealth and power. And that, that was the reason why it was created. Um, but the two are not one and the same. Uh, you know, white people like me, um, we need to look at our history and the realities of how whiteness operates and how it works. And we got to, we got to study it. We got to understand it so we can see our own stories clearly before we're able to write a, a new and better one. Um, that's important. We got to look back. And I think especially as white people, because people of color know how whiteness works, but white people often are blind to how it works because we wear it like a skin that we don't know. We don't know we're wearing it oftentimes. And we need to lean into that. Um, but on the other hand, wealth and power are a different animal because, you know, in and of themselves, wealth and power are neutral. It's all about what you do with it. Right. You know, uh, whiteness was created as a, as something that was meant to exploit, right. You know, wealth and power can be exploitative, but they're not inherently evil. Uh, power isn't evil. It can be used for a great evil. It can be used to oppress. It can be used to marginalize. Um, the question is, what power do I have and how can I use it or give it away so that other people can flourish? And I think you got, I think it's important for white people, especially in these conversations to come at it, thinking through that lens. I love everything you said, obviously. And I, and I guess, uh, how's it going or <laughs> as far as it can't be measured just yet in terms of, Oh, we're about 13,000 feet up on Mount Everest. Um, it's one of those challenges and you're illustrating what's happening this year for all of us who want to see your dream become reality. A lot of things have to happen. It's not just your work. And it does seem like society is really moving in the right direction. I think it was Dr. King that talked about the long arc of history. Um, man, it feels like we're at a real tension point, you know, in that arc. And I can remember when I first came across the, the Arbery killing, that, that one, I pictured my son jogging and never coming home. And it hit me like squarely. I think for the first time for a lot of people, 
found that level of hate undeniable. And so, Jess, what do you think about that? Do you think there's an opportunity here to accelerate what we're all hoping to do? Yeah, I think so. I think we're in a moment. Everybody says, oh, this moment feels different. This moment seems different. And then you may hear, you know, people like me and, and others and who are like a little bit cynical and are like, well, we'll like, we have to wait and see, right? Like this is the long game. And Rob talked about it earlier with a 400 year old tree. You can't just, you can chop it down, but this country is not built for that. It's too deeply rooted for this country to just simply say, you're right. You know what? All that stuff, watch my language on this podcast that we've believed and have been taught and have been, you know, casually discussing over dinner tables at home since I was small, all that, all that that's ingrained in me is just gone tomorrow because I just feel like it's wrong. People have a hard time with the tension that lives with inside them of what they've learned, what they've come to know to be true, which they, what they feel is right or a disservice or an injustice against themselves to then say, you know, but the tension is this isn't right. Right. George Floyd, that's not right. Something about that isn't right. But at the same time, I feel like it goes against everything I was trained to believe. And so this is a long game that you'll hear me talk about on the podcast often is where I'll say um, this is a moment where if we're going to see this exponential change, we have to take a personal and spiritual accounting. Rob Rob hears me say this all the time. It is up to each of us to literally do an audit on how we want to walk and navigate this life that we have been gifted and how you come out of that audit and what you choose to do with it is how we will forcibly move this forward. Because I do think that people are inherently good and I do think that people are suffering from tension right now. Um, And that's great. You should be as tense as you need to be to be on the right side of history. So I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'm not here to make you feel good or tell you that what your grandpa told you over, you know, when you're out hunting is okay about black people or, or any person who doesn't look like you, that they are less than you or that they are, they have less value than you. You won't, I'm not here for that. So people will get there. Um, and I do feel like more than ever, I think you're right. Is this moment is, will be a reflection of that and will certainly be a test. We'll, we shall see. Right. We shall see. And I wanted to point out too, or not point out, but I wanted to share that moment with you about um, Ahmaud Arbery with my own son was it was it was catastrophic in my household. Um, You know, this isn't the first time that we've had to have these conversations with my son. Trayvon was the first time my son ever asked me about the news cycle. So before, you know, you shelter your kids, you shelter your kids. And then my son was in middle school and asked me about it. And now I had to really have that conversation for the first time where he would feel some kind of way about himself, regardless of what, how amazing I told him he was and what a king he was and the promise that he held and the value that he had. Um, He had to decide for the first time to believe that because what he was seeing said otherwise. And that's tough. And this, this particular incident with Ahmad was tough because it was a, like, he looks like my kid, my kid's six foot five and he runs every night. He's a, he's an athlete. 
and would leave to go run and come back. And I just thought I was watching my son and it was devastating as a mom. Again, heartbreak broken. Um, and I think we have to feel that. I feel like 2020 has got us numb to just one thing after another thing after another thing. And this podcast is supposed to be depressing, but we can't pretend like these moments aren't traumatic for families, that they don't require extra effort and thought around how do you pull yourself out into a mental space where you can function like everyone around you, white the white community around you that functions kind of carelessly around their days. We, I would love to be careless at times, like just not think about it, but you know, we're not, that's not a luxury often and certainly not for my son and your son. Right. So um, I just want your listeners to like get there, like imagine it. It's tough. It can be really, really tough. And this will not be the last time in my family in your family. We'll have to go through this again. I think in a way time's kind of up on a lot of these shenanigans, whether it's these vigilantes in rural Georgia, whether it's the police in Minneapolis, we got camera phones everywhere, y'all. We're going to capture it. And you can't hide. If you want to enjoy your privilege, you can't hide with it anymore. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have to carry it into rooms and get confronted with all of this content that's going to have to make you change. And I think it's so important, you know, with what's happened in my personal life over the last three years, I've transcended that journey of being empathetic to sympathetic, right? I've got to have the talk or all the talks that you have, Jess. And, and I, I've wept a little bit for my own situation, but I mainly weep for yours. That's the moment, right, when you can see other people and see community. It doesn't have to be all about you, you, the collective you, but really being able to see people in their situations. And I have to, too. Trust me. I mean, I don't carry the magic passbook for the Black experience. I carry the magic passbook for mine. My own. My own is unique to me and to my son, and to our home. And that's what I can speak to. And my son and I did have the talk again, because he's driving, uh, when he went to Greenville on Saturday to go hang out with his college buddies. And I forgot to tell him when he left about the speed limit and the speed traps and what part of North Carolina he was going through. And, I, you know, Trey took it, and we kept it moving. and um, But... It's yeah, that's a real thing. And I was, it wasn't like a, Oh, sad moment. It was like, a, this was a critical moment. <laughs> we had that conversation. I wanted my son to come home. So I was like, listen, you need to know where you're going and this is how you need to behave. And please do not speed because just let's just avoid every opportunity to engage. Adding to that, I think as white people or people who are identifying as white listening to this, we have to make sure if you are someone who's listening to this and maybe leaning in right now um, that we, we don't pop the confetti just yet because <laughs> uh, one thing white people can do, you know, like we said, we could, we can look around and be like, you know, it's like that Saturday night live skit where, you know, when Trump got elected and the white people are like, I can't believe that happened. And, and like, you know, the people of color are watching like, what, 
what do you mean you can't like what do you mean you what do you mean you couldn't see this coming like this is who this is who we are like it, w- this is present in our society it's present in our hearts and i think there's there can be a disconnect sometimes and i think that if you are white and you are leaning in and you're relatively new to this journey you know i think we have to make sure that we tbd right like let's not let's not be too self-congratulatory i mean brian i know i know it is a it's important to be in the streets like i I took my daughter you know to a protest in downtown durham who's seven years old and and i'm thankful that that was a part of her journey but i don't want to go home to her and be like work the work is done we did it We, we were in the streets one time because we need our will will white people that were in the streets will they will that affect how they vote in the ballot box more importantly Will it move from the streets to our wallets into our pocket, but will it change how we invest our resources um, and how we leverage our time, talent, and treasure? Because protesting it might seem like a risk, but really it's, it's also pretty cheap to do. Uh, it's not very costly um, in, in, in some senses. I know there are some people taking a good amount of risk in some communities, but, but here in Durham, it doesn't cost you much to protest. Um, What's going to happen after the protest, after the dust settles on that, when the NFL's not, you know, talking about in every other commercial, right? That's that's cheap. Talk is cheap, right? It's popular to do it now. But look what they did to Colin Kaepernick. It's it's popular to do the opposite of that now, but it, it's not going to be popular forever, you know. And w- Bloody Sunday had an effect, but then guess what? We're still sitting here grappling with some of these same issues fifty plus years later. We have to, it's like the dolphins, the Miami dolphins, right? That, that, that popular video that came out say, Hey, enough fluff. Like let's be about actual change. Uh, be about it. Like, you know, let's not argue over the semantics of X, Y, or Z on the surface level action. That's, that can be important, but like, we're going to dig deeper. Uh, we're going to get to the root of this thing. And I think that takes a marathon approach. Jess and I talk about this all the time is like for white people that aren't used to, to, using these muscles, you've got to work up a marathon mentality because if you don't, you're going to run at a sprinter's pace and you're going to be exhausted and you're going to fizzle. You're going to flame out early in the race. And our people of color, neighbors, brothers and sisters can't afford for us to do that. We've got to build up endurance in this thing. That's a great metaphor too, because I can tell you from my own personal journey and watching other people in my generation, there's a lot of pain that comes First, so Jess, you've just launched a new business. Um, I followed I follow you on social media, so I saw a lot of the the launch communications, uh, and you've gotten a lot of deserved uh, attention. You know, based on what's widely accepted as some very successful stints you've had uh, with Leadership Triangle an American underground. Um, so you're on your third startup and it's called reinvention roadmap. And I want to know what was the impetus for doing this, doing it right now and, um, how it brings together everything you've learned and experienced over your career. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to launch a new company, uh, in a pandemic. Of course I wasn't, you know, forecasting it. So it is what it is. And I decided that uh, it was regardless of the environmental conditions, it was time. 
And it is the culmination. And I will talk a little bit about what, when I say it, 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 I will talk about and unpack it in a second. But, you know, I have worked on an Amish farm. I have worked in sports and entertainment. I have worked for the Fortune 5, world's most admired company at one point, uh, General Electric as a financial analyst. I've worked in the early stage startup community and diversity and inclusion and in the leadership space. And so my, and there's things I haven't told you. I mean, there's so many pieces in between and experiences that I've had and my whole life is just a reinvention. Right. And so the word to me resonates the, the idea that you can be different and make choices that change your life and shape your life and your life's experiences and those around you that you have, the ability to do that is inspiring to me. Um, there was a point when I went through my divorce, I was married for 12, 16 years. Oh, we were married for 12 years together, 16. And right during my separation, I was near homelessness. I was not homeless, but I was the month that I wasn't able to pay anything. I had some people help me looking at food banks, trying to figure out how to pay all the bills and gas in my car. So reinvention is like my life. <laughs> I literally have been doing it since I was very young. Um, and so the purpose now for me is to help women in particular really learn and achieve their goals while finding their joy and fulfillment and understanding what really fulfills them, no matter what season of life they're in. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It just matters that you have a vision, a greater vision for yourself. And I'm, and my purpose now is to help you get there and get there quickly, efficiently, and with a lot of joy and excitement about it, right? Like I get excited about this stuff because to see women believe in themselves again, um, take their dream off the shelf, get in the driver's seat and actually do the work. Um, that that is so amazing, not just for them, but the children that they're raising, the families that they're in, the husbands or the partners that they're with. Everybody benefits when you actually pour into yourself. Um, so many people get the residual of that. And so that to me is like amazing. Uh, and I've, like I said, personally, I've seen that happen in my own life where when I get it together and when I put that work in, the people around me are much happier. And I love that you're doing what I think of as a mission-driven business. It's going to transcend every individual client relationship you have. Uh, you're, you're rising the tide, as they say. So now you can politely tell us you've got a freaking roll and you got to blow our little virtual popsicle stand. Let's 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 keep the conversation going. I love I love both you guys. Thank you. It was quite a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to this very special episode of Ramblin' Writers. If you want to learn more about our guests and all the work they're doing for the community in Durham, North Carolina, we encourage you to visit recitynetwork.org. And we'll be back soon with another episode.